plugs play pedagogy. This is episode three, using creative comments to make stuff. I'm Kyle Stedman from Rockford University. It's October 2014 as I'm recording, and that means that the weather is starting to change here in northern Illinois. Warm days are followed by cold days, and then it flips back to warm, and my tomato plant is like, forget it, I'm done with this game, I want out. But the kale is like, whatever, dude, I'm fine. I mentioned the changes in weather because a similar spirit of change and adaptation is central to the spirit of this episode of this show. That is, my plans for this episode have changed, and they've changed again, and they've changed again. As rhetoricians, we could say that my invention process has recursively affected my content, which led to more invention, which led to new content, and and so on. Here's what I mean. While plans for bigger future shows are cooking in the background, I was going to use this episode as something of a filler show. I wanted to find awesome content online that would help you teach writing and rhetoric better, content that I could legally share with you here even without asking anyone's permission, because who has the time for that? I would be the curator of that content, the wise soul who humbly pointed to the wisdom of those who have gone before me. That's so often what I wish I had, a curator to say, hey, in the midst of all that content out there, this, focus on this. I especially wanted to discover what online content made sense when translated to this sonic format. I mean, the show starts with the word plugs, right? That's to remind us of the things we plug in and out of our computers as teachers, as scholars who use and study digital stuff. And one of the most common things I plug into my laptop are speakers and headphones. So I wanted to emphasize those sound-related plugs and let you hear some snippets of cool stuff that you could then hear through your own plugs later. I'm still going to do that. I want to share with you some of the cool stuff I found. But my path has led me to do some thinking about copyright and creative comments that I hadn't expected to really discuss in this episode, but I think I have to. So that's where we're going, on a path through the world of legally reusing content, both as teachers and scholars, in hopes of teasing out the weirdest difficulties, at least as I've found them. Hopefully, you'll explore these weirdnesses on your own and walk your students through them as well, because that's what we're doing here. I'm not giving you legal advice, of course, and in fact, a lot of my point here is that I'm still confused by a lot of this stuff. I would love some of your input as well. Even though I've studied intersections of intellectual property and composition studies for like nine years or something, I've chaired the Four C's Intellectual Property Caucus. I co-led an awesome Four C's workshop on IP issues at the 2014 conference. I mean, I, I know this stuff. But in a lot of ways, I don't. I'm still learning. It's complicated. So here's how I'm going to walk you through these issues. I first want to give you a super quick introduction to the basic ideas of copyright and creative commons in case you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Then in part two, I'll narrate some searching I did as I looked for teaching-related material that was licensed for creative commons to share on this show. Then finally, in part three, I'll recommend a few resources to check out for you and your students. Those and any other links and resources I mention will be available on my show notes, which I always post at the two main online homes of this show, on Podigee, that's P-O-D-I-G-E-E, where the show's hosted, but also at the Writing Commons blog, where I usually send people to listen to it. You can just Google Plugs Play Pedagogy, and you should find both of those. So here's part one, an easy introduction to copyright. So when I introduce copyright to students, it's often in the context of what can I do with stuff I find online? 
If I find a picture I want to include in my essay or blog post or website, can I just grab it and use it? If I want to include a clip from a song in a video I'm making or an audio essay, can I use it? If I'm making a video and I want to show part of another video that I found on YouTube, can I use it? Well, sure, I technically can do any of those things, but of course I mean more of a may I, supposing that I want to follow copyright law as much as possible, at least as it's currently practiced in the United States. And the answer, of course, is it's complicated. So to break down that complicatedness in class, I usually draw three columns on the board, with each column representing a different type of material. On the left, I draw the public domain column, and I write some notes there about what I mean by the public domain. Stuff in the public domain can be used freely. I can remix it. I can use it wholesale in my academic and non-academic work. I can make copies of it and sell it. I can make a million copies and drop them on New York City from a blimp. If the public domain were a sound, it might sound open, with lots of space between the notes. open space allows me to do whatever I want in between. It's a free space for composition. So how do I know if something is in the public domain? Well, teachingcopyright.org has a great page on this, but the short answer is anything published in the U.S. before 1923, anything put in the public domain by its copyright owner, and some other content that follows complicated rules about if the copyright has expired or not. Teachingcopyright.org walks you through that and also answers the question of where can I find public domain works. Okay, so that's one column on the board, on the left side. On the right side, I make a copyright column, and we talk about how we should assume that anything we find online that's not marked as copyrighted is copyrighted. Does that make sense? Anything you find, if it doesn't say anything about it, your default is, this is copyrighted. I ask students to do this exercise in class where they, they take out their phones, I do it with them, and we all snap a picture of anything right there in class. And we, we can be as artistic or as simple as we want. But then we talk about where we might post that picture online and under what circumstances they might want to protect the rights that they now have over that image just because they took it. That's right. If they post it on their own site, they have the right to control how and where it's used. They are the copyright owners of that image parentheses here. Now, social media gets a little trickier since Facebook and Instagram have terms of service that give them certain rights over your pictures that you currently have up on your pages. Really, we're, we're talking here about the rights you have when you post it on other places without terms of service, like if you had your own blog. So then we, we talk about how you can use copyrighted works in your own compositions. And usually we talk about three main ways. If, if you're like, man, I, I really need that picture or that sound or that video or those words... You either ask for permission, you pay a licensing fee, or you have a fair use to use it, in which case you don't have to do those things. Now, now this is really different from the public domain on the left side of the board, right, where I can do what I want with works without asking for permission, without paying a fee, without worrying about fair use. These are the concerns we have when we're dealing with copyrighted works. So if copyright were a sound, again, I would characterize it as being tighter than the open sounds of the public domain. Yes, there are certain circumstances where that tightly controlled content can still be used in my new my new composition. 
But still, when we're in the world of copyright, we're in the world of regulations. Okay, quick parentheses here. I think that helping students understand when they have a valid fair use claim to use copyrighted work is super important. It might be one of the most important things we teach students in this age of, of digital use and reuse and remix, of course. Um, it's really just not what I'm most interested in here right now. So to learn more about fair use, about how to use copyrighted works in a fair way, I would start at the fair use checklist at the website of the Copyright Advisory Office of the Columbia University Libraries. Google that. Use it in your classroom. It's top-notch, seriously. Okay, back to my board, right? We have a left column. We have a right column. But then I draw a middle column, which I label as the Creative Commons column. In some ways, I think it's misleading to paint it as being somehow in between stuff that's in the public domain and stuff that's copyrighted, but sometimes it feels that way. Essentially, Creative Commons is a licensing agency that allows people who make stuff to say, look, I know I have the right to hold on to my copyright of this thing I made, but I want to, in advance, say that it's fine for people to use it in certain ways that I've made clear. If we stick to our musical analogy, we could characterize Creative Commons as a unique melody, one that someone created and shared with the world. But now, as long as I follow the stipulations set out by the Creative Commons license, I may be able to do various things with it that I wouldn't be able to do if it were strictly copyrighted under an all-rights-reserved license, as we assume things are when it doesn't say otherwise, remember? I might be able to take the work and include it wholesale in my new work, or I might even be able to adapt it to fit my new purpose. Now, there are a lot of different kinds of Creative Commons licenses, which I'll get into later, but essentially some allow you to use the Creative Commons license work in any way, even if you make money from your new work, as long as you give credit to the original. But other flavors of Creative Commons licenses use restrictions that keep you from cutting it up in any way. They say that there are no derivatives allowed, no remixes. Others keep you from using the content in commercial contexts, and others require you to use the exact same license as the original one. The, the idea there being that if someone then wants to remix my new work, they'll have to use the exact same license. And that same license will go on and on and on, keeping content free. So that's the short version in, in some. Here we go. In some, works that I find online are presumed copyrighted, which means I'd better have a fair use defense if I use them. But I can also purposely go looking for work in the public domain or work that is licensed by Creative Commons. So as I prepared this episode, that's what I did. I searched for Creative Commons licensed stuff from my middle column on the board, stuff that you might want to hear as teachers of writing and rhetoric who are interested in all this digital sorts of stuff. And that gets us into part two, me searching for stuff. So I thought I'd hit up a few places that have Creative Commons built into their DNA, sites that let you search specifically for Creative Commons licensed stuff. You can always start at search.creativecommons.org to find some of those places, but I already knew where I wanted to go to find content related to teaching, writing, and rhetoric. I wanted to go to SoundCloud for both um, talking, podcasty stuff and music. It's good for both of those. I wanted to go to Gemendo to look for music. I wonder what happens when you search for the word rhetoric there. I wanted to go to freesound.org for sound effects, and I wanted to go to YouTube for everything else. 
So let me start by talking a little bit about SoundCloud. If you don't know SoundCloud, it's one of those places that it's a little bit like an audio YouTube. At least that's what I tell students. A place that anyone can upload sound for free. Of course, there's a limit on how much you can do for free. But there's a lot of um, cool commenting features. You can add commentary specifically to moments in the track, kind of helping you manage that weird, timey-wimey sense in which audio works. And a lot of people use it for music, but a lot of other people use it for other sorts of content. I've uploaded things there before that I want to share with students or that I want to share with someone else. It's a it's a good place for that. So I went there knowing I would find some cool stuff related to teaching, writing, and rhetoric. I've, I've been here before. I poked around. So I went and I did a big, big, broad search first. I started with composition or rhetoric. Give me anything using the word composition. I don't care if it's related to what we mean. And give me anything related to rhetoric. And when I searched it, I first was like, okay, where's my Creative Commons option? And eventually I found it. It took a second. You have to click tracks on the left side, and then there's a filter results. Um, now, right away, when I click the filter results, um, I can choose a few copyright sorts of options, but none of them quite matched what I was doing here. So the first two were obviously wrong. One was to modify commercially. In other words, I'm searching for tracks I can modify commercially or tracks I can use commercially. Now, I know, I'm sure I could look up what the difference between modifying and using is, but um, in any case, I didn't want either of those because this is a non-commercial podcast. The next one was to share. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't quite want to share it. I want to, I want to remix it in, in the sense that I want to take um, clips. I want to be able to take bits and pieces. So I was like, is share just mean, you know, put it wholesale somewhere else? Um, but the only other option was to listen to. So I went ahead and chose to share. So at first, that seemed really cool. I found um, some some random stuff, a, a group called Bad Rhetoric. Um, I found uh, a, an account called 365 Days of Sound that had a, a piece called David Cameron and His Never-Ending Rhetoric. A mistake I think we made. That's 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 a mistake. But okay, that that stuff is just fine. I I guess I'm more here to talk about the serious stuff. And right underneath that, I see that the UK, the University of Kentucky Arts and Sciences, has their own uh, SoundCloud account, and they have interviews up with folks like Adam Banks. That my research feeds my teaching. My teaching feeds my community work. My community work feeds my research. Craig Crowder. If you're moving into a multimodal communication world where people are already using these skills and it's already expected that people will know how to do this when they come out of a four-year degree at a university, um, then really as part of a core curriculum, we're doing students a disservice if we also don't teach composition in those modalities. Jenny Rice. So we're all involved in these different networks of conversations. Important people doing important work in our field. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm going to take those clips and share them. And then I I couldn't find uh, the copyright license information. And I was like, somewhere on here, it must be here. And I I finally figured out, it takes a little clicking around, that if you click the name of a track on SoundCloud, at least the way it's currently designed, it takes you to a whole page that's based just on that track. And in the upper right, there's a track info place. And I can click read more once I'm on that page. And then finally, if I scroll down, I find this track is licensed by a CC by NCSA license. Okay, that's code. Here's what that code means. It means um, the CC means Creative Commons. Great. The by means I have to attribute uh, 
I have to attribute the University of Kentucky Arts and Sciences account. Awesome. I can totally do that. Next part, NC, non-commercial. Great. This is non-commercial. But the last one, share alike. This is a share alike kind of um, Creative Commons license. Let me tell you a little bit of what that means. When I when I click the license itself, it takes me to the page on Creative Commons. It has this language. It says, if you remix, transform, or build upon the material, you must distribute your con- contributions under the same license as the original. In other words, if I want to use this interview with Adam Banks, this interview with Jenny Rice, and I want to take the best parts of it that will help you and put them in my podcast, my podcast had better legally be licensed the exact same way with another CC by NCSA, that essay that for share alike, remember. So why was that a problem for me? Why don't I just fix it? Well, on my end, as the person who's creating the podcast, I decided a while ago when I first set this up to use a slightly different Creative Commons license. Mine only requires attribution it requires that it be non-commercial, but my podcast doesn't have a share alike license on it. In my mind, I thought, well, that that's maybe a little more open. I thought maybe that means that people can use this whether or not they feel like putting a Creative Commons license on what they make. In other words, as long as they're not selling it, as long as they give me attribution, I don't really care how far down the line their remixes go. Remember, because that's what share-alike licenses are designed for, so that the next person has to remix in the same way, and the next person has to remix it in the same way, so that it, it never gets gets held down. And I was like, yeah, this is just, I'm just some random academic who really cares. That Creative Commons license I chose is communicated on my page, but it's also, it's also built into my feed now, so that, for instance, if you download this on iTunes, that's the license that you'll see. So I can't or at least I can't easily change the license for individual episodes of my show. So the answer to the so what is that in an intriguing way here, because of the limitations of Podigy, the place where I host my podcast, it's hard for me to change individual episodes licenses, which means that it's hard for me to integrate stuff that uses share like license. And very quickly, as I started poking around on SoundCloud, I started finding more and more stuff I wanted to use that had a share-alike license that I didn't feel like I could use, again, unless I had a fair use defense. So I can play short clips from this stuff, especially short clips that I'm going to comment on, and and be and I can be very confident that this is not a copyright violation, that, that um, I'm using it in a way that I think falls into fair use. And yet still, the, the point here of Creative Commons is that they gave me permission to use it, but I have to follow their guidelines. So... The interesting thing here to me that that really got kept my mind going was that I started to feel like if I knew the people or even like sort of kind of knew them, that it would probably be okay. Now, this isn't the legal thing at all. This is just how I started to feel. Um, at at Four Cs last year, um, Adam Banks was the conference chair. And I remember running into him on an escalator and getting his signature for the Seize the Day game that I was playing. Not because he's like so awesome that I need a signature. I mean, he's awesome and all. But it, it was part of this game. So is that enough of a connection? That, you know, and we've tweeted at each other a couple times. Well, Jenny Rice, I, I shared a cab with her once. <laughs> I um, asked her to to chair a conference panel for me once. Is that is that enough do, do, I, do I know her enough that I could just say, well, you know, it's, it's fine? And obviously, neither of those are actually um, on accounts that they own. So do I have to ask UK? To, to what extent do I need their permission? Well, I really need their permission. I mean, in the, in the actual real world, right? 
but it started to not feel like it. And then, then it got even closer. I started seeing other people who I, who I know a little bit more. Um, Ryan Truman has a page, and some of his stuff is completely open. And, and by completely open, I mean that when I, when I click through all of those steps to try to figure out exactly how it's licensed, I see that it's licensed only with a, a buy. So if I, if I give him um, credit, then I can, I can do essentially whatever I want with it, you know, following, following the detailed guidelines of, of the license. But Truman has other things on here that I, I can't use. He has this other interesting piece where he interviewed all these people about CWIC and DMAC and all these um, – uh, places where people are doing interesting stuff that I want to talk about here, and he's a transcript, and it'd be so easy to find the best parts and clip it in and use some of those things. And yet, there's a sense in which I'm not really supposed to. It's interesting, right? Again, I felt like I knew him, so it was okay. Brent Simino has field notes up on SoundCloud that I found that he has um, shared with his class. I found a, a couple of other grad students on Joe and Jacob's podcast. They were talking about um, writing assessments, stuff that matters a lot to what we work about. Um, found some interesting examples from um, a guy who I think his name is Bert Jarrett. The the account is called Space Time Rhetoric, and he's created all of these awesome SoundCloud files, introducing himself, introducing the syllabus, um, introducing assignments, things that are clearly designed for students. But there they are on SoundCloud, and there they are waiting for me to grab them and share them with you. But the Creative Commons license he chose doesn't quite allow me to. Okay, is this some kind of like um, deep, weird beef I have with Creative Commons? No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm just really saying that when we start getting into the nitty-gritty, when we start actually grabbing stuff and trying to do stuff with it, I think sometimes we, have, we run into little steps that sometimes if we're not predicting them, if we don't know that they're coming, we won't quite know what to tell our students about them. Some things I found on SoundCloud that I think are useful for you the University of Michigan Sweetland Center, they have a few um, tracks up that are, are very interesting. One one here on um, transfer and writing from um, Rebecca Nowacek. I was uh, an English major, but I was taking a sociology class, and I had a professor who handed a paper back to me, and he said with this smirk on his face, you write like an English major. And they have interviews with other guests too. Now, those those are ones that I could just wholesale put in here. And honestly, I would if I wasn't taking so much time to talk about all this copyright stuff. I found another interesting pedagogy workshop um, that specifically talks some about sound. A lot of the stuff I'm interested in that I didn't even know was up here um, from on, on Ryan Truman's site. It's called An Apology for Audio Assignments in First-Year Writing Classroom that um, Truman hosted with Harley Ferris, a good friend of mine at the University of Louisville. Again, I didn't even know that they did this. And here it is. And if I were taking the time right now, I could share the whole thing with you. Um, Truman also has a piece on his called Incorporating Audio into Your Classroom. So let's say you don't have a ton of experience incorporating audiovisual elements into your writing classroom assignments. Let's also say that maybe you're a little intimidated by the prospect, not only because it's something new to you and your students, but also because you yourself aren't sure what an audiovisual assignment might look like. Man, how awesome to be able to take that and just like put it on a flash drive to share around, to spread it, to to work it into our podcast, to let people know, hey, other people have this good advice that's been curated for you. Well, well, awesome. I, I could use that. But there's not that much else that I could use. So let me let me turn to archive.org. Now, archive.org is a um, different sort of site from um, SoundCloud. It's less hip. It's a little slower in terms of bandwidth. Um, but 
they do have a whole lot of stuff that you can put up for free. And when you do a search for composition, rhetoric, those sorts of words, you find some interesting stuff. And again, I'm less interested, it turns out, in the actual stuff than it is than I'm interested in how you find it, how you navigate the site. So so when you do an advanced search on archive.org, you find all sorts of kind of crazy things. So I was like, I don't even want to mess with that. I just thought I want to dig in and start searching for words like rhetoric, composition, writing, teaching, and seeing what I find. And right away, I find that um, Ryan Meehan, someone who was a, a graduate student at University of South Florida, where I did my PhD work, um, he apparently used archive.org to host some things for his students. They're still on there. But when you click through and you, you ask that same question, what can I use legally? What is the Creative Commons license here? There, there wasn't anything obvious. I couldn't tell how it was licensed. And what I eventually found as I started poking around was that some things on, on ARCA.org are Creative Commons licensed, but unless they are, the page doesn't say anything about licensing. In other words, it's either nothing silence, you have no idea, you have to guess, unless you have to assume it's fully copyrighted, or it actually does say something. Now, again, I... There's, there's that question of when you find something cool, especially when it seems like someone you know, what do you, what do, you do about that? Here, here's an example. On archive.org, there's an account um, for the CUNY, the CUNY Graduate Center Digital Humanities Initiative. And there's this interview with Doug Iman and Colin Brook, this, this lecture that they gave on October 8th, 2013. You can search for it. You can find it. It's 39 minutes long. I skimmed around at it. It's great stuff. Hey, I, I, I know... Doug Iman, all right. Uh, I've, again, tweeted with Colin Brook, but I don't really know him. But again, these are people who I think, oh, yeah, yeah, they're into this stuff. You know, they're, they're into multimodal work. They're into digital work. They, they, wanna, they want information to be spread, blah, blah, blah. And yet here's this interview, and it's Creative Commons license with a buy, and this time an ND. An ND means no derivatives. And if I click through into the actual wording on the license, it says, if you remix, transform, or build upon the material, you may not distribute the modified material. I'm going to take that to mean that I can't take clips of this. That if I wanted to take the full 39 minutes and say, hey, everyone, hang out for a while. Let me just completely redistribute this whole thing without having really curated the best stuff I would be able to. But because of the license that was chosen, I can't. So I, I guess part of what I'm getting at here is that I want to start thinking or want to start a conversation about how do I choose my Creative Commons license? Yes, the first step is convincing people that you should use these licenses in the first place. For goodness sakes, license everything. It's so easy. Creativecommons.org makes it so simple. License your websites, your syllabi, your assignments, your course websites, your audio, your video. Do it with everything. Um, that, that'll help the the culture you're making continue to be spread in clear ways. And yet, and yet, I think maybe we're getting to the point in the conversation where we need to start saying which license works best, not just for you, but with the possible uses other people might want to make of it. How can we predict what people might want to do with the things we upload? And kind of uh, kind of work with those. Does that make sense at all? I don't. Maybe maybe I'm crazy. Um, as as I searched around on archive.org, I did find again a couple of things I I could use. Apparently, Colorado State University had an interesting writing project summer institute, and there's a lot of people who were there who are sharing um, poems, fiction, things that they wrote at this institute. Um, what does that have to do with me as a teacher? Well, it, it makes me think maybe I could ask students to um, record themselves speaking and upload it somewhere and, and then think about that that process, you know, use, use that as part of the invention process. Awesome. Um, and I could download those and distribute them however I want because they, they have a very um, 
a very loose Creative Commons license, a, a buy-only license. Um, also found this interesting hour-long conversation about teaching and assessing blogs uploaded by someone named Paul Allison. I don't know Paul Allison, but um, this person actually chose to upload it in the public domain. So a step even beyond Creative Commons. You can do whatever the heck you want with this. And it's an interesting, interesting interview with a whole lot of people almost none of whom I know anything about. Uh, it, it mentions the Dakota Writing Project Digital Writing Marathon. How cool, how awesome to be able to find this when you look around and are looking for this stuff. And this, I could do whatever I wanted with in a podcast like this. Again, I'm not going to right now. Let me turn to two more sites because I know this is this is getting lengthy. One, um, I usually go to gemendo.com when I'm looking for um, music for things. I, I know when John Stone and I published an audio review in Composition Forum, we used a lot of Creative Commons licensed music from Gemendo. Well, why? Because music on Gemendo is free, and it makes it, I think, a little easier, but still a little complicated to find what you're looking for. So so say, just for fun, I go to Gemendo and I search for rhetoric. Well, then Right away, I can click this advanced search button, and it gives me a choice of CC licenses. And right there are all six of the possible Creative Commons licenses in, in the various ways that they, they um, come out. You know, right? Like a, a just a buy license, an attribution alone, or an attribution share like license, blah, blah, blah. The problem here is that I have to search for each of these licenses one at a time. So when John and I were we're making this this audio review of a book for, for this online journal, right? I wanted music that I could use, but I didn't want a share-alike license again because I didn't think we were going to use a share-alike license. So I the choices I had here were to search for people who had li- licensed their work as attribution, as buy only, and then I had to do a whole nother search for people who had licensed their work with attribution um, non-commercial, because both of those both of those worked, right? So it, it, you kind of have to do all of your searches twice there. Now, I also send students a lot to freesound.org. It's also the place I use um, for, for sound effects a lot myself. So if I was like, hey, I'm talking about writing. I want sound effects of writing. Unlikely I'm going to sit down and record myself. My, I'm just going to go to freesound and find it. And here, if I if I search writing, for, for instance, I really like that on, on the right... Um, it's a little easier for me to click through the kinds of licenses. Yes, I have to click and see the ones that are at, um, attribution license or the ones that are attribution not commercial. But before I narrow it down, I'm getting all of those licenses together. I'm getting, hey, this is all the Creative Commons stuff. I didn't have to pick one and kind of look through all of those and then look through another narrowed one and look through a narrow, another narrowed one. I could be as as wide or as, as narrow as I want. I don't know if that makes sense. If you if you poke around on freesound.org, you'll you'll notice this. Finally, let me turn briefly to YouTube. If you spent any time, you know that YouTube has something on every topic, including stuff on teaching, writing, and rhetoric. So uh, when, when you search there, there is a pretty simple button up top that says filters, and you can see Creative Commons as one of your options. But notice notice how, how vague that is. It's just kind of a simple, you want stuff that has Creative Commons license. You don't know what kind. So uh, again, there's there's going to be that same issue I had on SoundCloud before, where some of this stuff is going to have a share-alike license, but some of it isn't. But YouTube honestly works a little simpler than that. When I've uploaded things in the past, it just gives me an option. Do you want do you want to use a Creative Commons license? And it doesn't ask me even what kind of license I want to use. I don't know if that's because they want to keep it simple for their for their audience. So I've had times where I'm using a clip that is share alike. 
right? Something I got from Jamendo that I thought was really good and would share like. So I thought, okay, um, therefore this video I make that uses this music has to have the same license. Great, totally fine. It's a video. I don't, I don't mind that, whatever. And then I go to YouTube and upload it and I'm not given the option in the, the DNA of the site to reflect the license I'm really supposed to use. So I end up putting it in the video itself. Hey, this video is licensed by blah, blah, blah with a share like. I end up putting it in the description. But again, we're we're playing with this world where guidelines are starting to be developed and more and more people are hearing about these and working them into their sites. YouTube knows what Creative Commons is and works it in. That's awesome. Google Images now will let you search just um, for works that you can reuse. Um, Flickr has had it built in to their interface forever. You know, all, all these other sites we're looking at. And yet, and yet it's always more complicated than that. So I think, again, part of my point is that we have to be prepared to walk through these things with our students and we have to be prepared to know when it feels right where that intersects with what is legally right does does that make sense at all so um say say i find a, a video on youtube of um cynthia self on multimodality and instructors that's on d marshall's page i see students fulfilling the letter of the task as best they can um, but because the task has been so, we've gotten so good and efficient at teaching the behaviors of writing, uh, the passion and the juice just hasn't been, um, students haven't taken it up. Say I'm on YouTube and I find um, an interesting video from Eric Detweiler on um, Kairos. That's, that's awesome. That's on the, the account of U Texas Spurs. It's the night of a big performance, one you've been preparing and practicing for for months. And you have a major solo. Your solo's in the middle of an upbeat song, but that song is the third song in your band's set. Before it, there are two other slower, more mellow tunes that'll give you and the audience a chance to get warmed up a little. Say I find um, Justin Hodgson talking about um, remediation in 100 seconds in, in a really, really simple way that a lot of people can understand. How do we bring multimedia writing into the classroom? And so what I typically tell people is to start thinking in terms of remediation as a kind of catch term for a transmediating act, which is to say, think about the assignments you already assigned and other ways in which you might allow other media representations for students to sort of engage in this process. Well, well, all of those have Creative Commons licenses, but when I dig down, I can find a little bit more about what am I actually allowed to do here. Um, well, what, as, I, as I click through all three of those, I see that I'm allowed... To, to reuse these. But here's here's what's one step more interesting um, with, with any of those three pieces. The way that the, the YouTube interface is built, it doesn't allow me to download anyone's video that I didn't create, right? Now, now that at first might be like, well, that's fine. That's their terms of use. That is their terms of use. They, they want you to actually play them here and not download them. Fine, it's their, it's their site. But, but stop and think about this for a second. What about a podcast? What about this? What if I want to take um, Cindy Self's ideas on multimodality? I want to take Eric Detweiler's ideas on Kairos. I want to take Justin Hodgson's ideas on remediation. How am I actually supposed to do that? Well, I can tell you YouTube's answer. YouTube's answer is I click this little button underneath that says remix this video. It's in the, the description. And what it brings me to is the YouTube editor where I can drag new audio in, I can clip it, I can work in my own videos. 
but it's all a browser-based system that they create. So then when I when I post my new one, I can post it with a Creative Commons license, but again, I'm posting it on YouTube. I never have the technical ability through YouTube to download it, to work with it in my own program. So for right now, for instance, I'm recording in a program called Audacity. Now, if I downloaded a video file, I could import the video file into Audacity and edit the sound in there. It would just strip out the audio. That would be awesome. What's more, I'm legally allowed to do that. The the uh, license itself says that that's what I can do. And yet, if I actually want to do that, I have to get a little tricky. I have to do some of those things that we may have done before where you Google download YouTube video. And of course, there are sites out there where you put in the link to the YouTube video and it'll let you download the whole video file or just the sound. I also could uh, record anything that's coming through my speakers and record that as well. And these these are um, legal workarounds because this is Creative Commons material that I want to remix in a legal way. And yet, because of the, the technical holdbacks on the YouTube site, I, I have to know that that's possible. I have to have done my homework to find the places that let me. And the whole time, at least for me, I, I feel that little like, oh, am, I, am I being weird here? Is this, is this kind of a shady site? Um, am, I, am I breaking some kind of rule? Well, yeah, I'm breaking YouTube's terms of service. But I, should, I, should I say out loud that, that I don't care about that as much as I care about following the Creative Commons license intent of the owner of, of the video that I, that I want to work with? So what am I saying? I, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying that that um, the more the more you play around with this stuff, the more you actually use it, the more complicated it gets. Is, is that kind of a overly simple or overly pessimistic sort of place to land? I'm not really sure, but that's that's where I'm landing right now. So now we're into part three, resources. At the beginning of this episode, I promised a few resources for folks wanting to learn more about all of this copyright type stuff. I don't want to talk your ear off, so I will be brief. And of course, I want to hear your ideas about what I left out here. I'll provide links to anything I mention in the show notes. So I think really a good place to start is creativecommons.org itself. They have a lot of good educational materials. Sometimes if you just poke around and try to license something that you have, you'll find that it's it's pretty logical. They also have a really good search.creativecommons.org site that will um, essentially show you sites that have um, searching for Creative Commons built into their DNA. In other words, really easy places to find what you're looking for. Great stuff. I also mentioned earlier teachingcopyright.org. It's a site that's hosted by the Electronic Frontier Foundation. When people are first learning about this stuff, I often send them to a comic called Tales from the Public Domain, Bound by Law. It's an online comic that is Creative Commons licensed, so you can download it for free. It's by Keith Aoki, James Boyle, and Jennifer Jenkins. If you search for Tales from the Public Domain, you'll find it. It gives a, a lot of really good background to public domain, copyright, Creative Commons, all fair use, a lot of these Im- important things. Um, I also want to give you a link to a site, um, a, a couple of lists of other resources. One of those is by Tracy Gardner, sometimes goes by Ten Girl. Her, uh, she has a post called Updating the Copyright Puzzle. Has a lot of good places to poke around, especially for people who are in our field. The DMAC blog also has a short list of copyright and legal resources. It's worth worth checking out. 
Now, when I'm when I'm doing this in class, sometimes I discuss real court cases with students, especially this one. We're trying to get in this idea of fair use, this idea of what actually is is likely to pass the four factors of fair use, which I know I haven't really talked about. Um, so I use a fair use checklist that's on the site that I mentioned way a long time ago at the website of the Copyright Advisory Office of Columbia University Libraries. There's a lot of good fair use checklists out there. That's the first one. That's the best one, I think. Um, some are sort of a little fancier. Um, if you're looking for cases to discuss, um, Stanford University Libraries actually has a uh, page called Summaries of Fair Use Cases. You could um, dig in, share some of the facts of those cases with students, and then um, ask them to, to to apply the fair use factors to those. Um, Laura Gamsey also has a page online called Fair Use Victories, Five Court Cases Upholding Your Right to Sample and Remix Copyrighted Works. It's also a really good piece. It's, it's not free, available online, um, but a book chapter by Martine Corrent Reif called Ideas Toward a Fair Use Heuristic, Visual Rhetoric and Composition. It has some good um, court case summaries in there as well. Um, I would also assign students or just read yourself some of the top intellectual property developments of the year. The Four Seas Intellectual Property Committee and um, in cooperation with the Intellectual Property Caucus every year publishes a, a really amazing collection of usually – uh, five to ten summaries of important things that you really you ought to know about, especially as compositionists. Um, it's online at the NCTE site on the, the webpage for the Intellectual Property Committee. And honestly, if you're going to Four Seas anyway, I would come on Wednesday, usually 2 to 5.30 or so, there's the Intellectual Property Caucus meeting. That's the public-facing meeting of the the more official intellectual property committee. I would love to tell you more about both of those, but the caucus is a welcoming, open place where uh, we we talk about whatever is going on in our field and in the world related to this stuff, and then we try to take action to make good stuff happen. That is the end of this episode. As always, let me remind you that I see Plugs Play Pedagogy as a collaborative venture and that I'd love to hear your ideas for future shows. I'm in the early stages of planning shows on the digital archive of literacy narratives and applications of gaming to teaching, shows that you could help with if you want, or you could always suggest totally different segments or ideas. I'm flexible. Surely by now you can tell that I'm flexible. So there's three main ways to contact me. One, I watch the Plugs Play hashtag on Twitter, so you could tweet something using it, and I'll see it. Two, you could always tweet directly at me. I'm at K Stedman. That's S-T-E-D-M-A-N. Third, you could always email me at plugsplaypedagogy at writingcommons.org. Speaking of writing commons, Plugs Play Pedagogy is produced in cooperation with Writing Commons and Kairos Cast, two bulwarks of content that I didn't even dip into for this episode, but they're both good friends with Creative Commons. Speaking of Creative Commons again, this podcast is actually licensed by a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, 4.0 international license. If you know what a lot of that means, you pass the test you're listening the theme music you heard at the beginning of the episode is by Cactus May, a graduate student in rhetoric and composition at Ohio University. Find more of his work at heycactus.weebly.com. You also heard Heart of a Beginner by Mark 101 Music. That was from SoundCloud. You heard It's Working by Nonsense Wind from Jamendo. And you heard Something Borrowed Rhetoric by Steve Lawson and Daniel Berkman, which is hosted on the account of Solo Bass Steve on SoundCloud. 
all are licensed by Creative Commons. What a surprise. And now you're hearing Blue Lightning by Disco Dan from Overclocked Remix, a site that has its own license for free use of its music that isn't Creative Commons related, but that's too complicated to get into now. So just go there and listen to their music. It's great. As I said before, my show notes will include links to all the clips you heard throughout the episode, the ones I mentioned and the ones I didn't mention. I'm Kyle Stedman from Rockford University, recording in Rockford, Illinois. I took a drive down the Rock River today to see the leaves changing because they'll be gone soon. And let's admit it, that's a little scary. This is Plugs Play Pedagogy. Pedagogy.